There's so many times in Scripture when we wish that we were there, right? Imagine Jesus and his glory lighting up Moses and Elijah. That would have been a place to have been. There are high and holy moments in the world, and then there are worldly moments. And we get really excited a lot of times about moments. Moments that perhaps are not so high and holy, but yet our world gets excited about them. One of those is going to happen tonight. It's the Oscar night, right? <laughs> An Oscar night. They're going to give Oscars to people for being the best at what they do. At least in this past year in one movie or one part of a movie that they were a part of. They'll give awards for everything and they'll come to the front and the people will cheer and they'll holler and they'll come and they'll act humble. Or some of them might even be humble. I should put that out there. It's possible that there, some of them will be humble. And a big to-do will be made about it. And the world, much of the world will be watching. I will not, I confess to you. Uh, I've got a good excuse because I'm going to be going to a wedding right after the worship service, my first Sunday wedding to ever attend in Waco, Texas. So my wife and I, Sally, are headed out for that. But I also confess to you, if I were home, I would also not be watching. Uh, Oscars are pretty, I guess. They look like a little small statue to me. I don't really get it. And, but it, everybody gets real excited in the world of arts and entertainment. And I might get more excited. I occasionally get excited when I hear about it because I just don't ever watch them. I usually have to go to another room because occasionally my wife does watch them because she's interested and she keeps all that trivia in her head. I don't have that many brain molecules to keep that kind of stuff in my head. So I don't try to soak that in. But I'm sure some of you are going to watch the Oscars and, and I want you to enjoy yourself. And I hope that you'll be praying for some of the ones who will be receiving their Oscars. But, you know, Jesus doesn't really pass out Oscars, not even for his own son. Jesus is not in the trophy business. In fact, when Jesus recognizes you, you better watch out, right? I mean, look, at he's, he's lifted up Jesus here, and you know what's going to happen when he comes down from that mountain, right? I mean, he's not going to be lifted up again for a while, and when he is lifted up again, well, let's just say it's not going to be very pleasant. For our God recognizes us in this earth in a very different way than do the people who receive Oscars for their work on earth. Our God recognizes those who are willing, as it said shortly before the text just read uh, in, earlier in Matthew, those who will lose their life in order to save it. God is in the business of recognizing people who are subject to the work of his kingdom. People who do not put themselves first, but put others first. People who do their good works often when others do not see them. God is in the business of lifting up human beings, not that they might be glorified, but that but they might find themselves in service. I hope that your career goal is not to be recognized on this earth by Oscars. Oh, don't get me wrong, I still got a few of those mementos from days gone by. Little tributes for playing sports or doing something well in school or something along the way. And they were meaningful at the time. And occasionally I got one once from a whole city, you know, a Chamber of Commerce Award. I was like, wow, all three or four hundred people voted for me probably. 
except three or four hundred didn't really get to vote. It was a small committee that were mostly made up of my church members. Big deal, right? You know, I kind of had an in there. The reality is the wards on this earth are nice and kind of pleasant, even at your work, and they have some kind of meaning to you. But really, what you would rather do is to receive your, your award from your Lord Jesus Christ when you hear his whisper in your ear. You're my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. That's worth more than all of the Oscars combined together, right? When you see this passage of scripture and you think about this, you immediately get into all kinds of stuff which we're not going to get into today. But I will just recognize that, first of all, some of you who are scientists are going, ah, sheesh, what am I supposed to do with that? Shimmering, glowing, you know, Elijah, Moses, Jesus. You're covering a few thousand years there where they overdosed on whatever they ate the moments before they went up to pray. Uh, was this such, such a, something they conjured up in their minds so it became a vision they could see? Uh, was this just something that they, that they saw in, a, in the ecstasy of a religious moment? I don't know about all that. I just know what the text says. It says Jesus was transfigured. That's good enough for me. I don't need to explain it. I just need to yearn for that kind of experience myself. Because you see, glimpses of eternity in our life change us. Glimpses of eternity that we see in our regular everyday life make us different human beings. Whenever you go on this trip, those of you who are going to Honduras, you're going to see a lot of interesting things. You're going to see some sad things. You're going to see some tough things. But if you're looking real closely, real closely, maybe in the eyes of a child who's not really taking part in all the opportunities that are there, but if you look real closely, you will see in that face, in that child, you will see someone not that child. You will see the face of Jesus, and you'll be getting a glimpse into eternity. When you talk with somebody and you make a, a difference in their life, you'll be seeing a glimpse of eternity because you'll know that God's Holy Spirit is at work in that child, and you have been used as an instrument of God. Don't take that lightly, and don't you dare miss it. Because when you get a chance to be on the mountaintop for just a few moments, revel in it, because right after that, you're probably going to go and clean out the toilet. All in Jesus' name. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Right after he was transfigured, he turned around, went right back down the mountain, right back down to everyday life where terrible things are happening. And he lived among those who he knew were planning to kill him. Isn't that the way we live our lives? But we don't want to miss the moments when we have glimpses of eternity. And quite frankly, for most of us, they occur most often on one-in-one -one moments when we're making a difference in someone's life or possibly in the middle of worship. Because let's look closely at this passage of Scripture. We're going to do it quickly. At this text, a verse just jumps out and hollers at us. Peter says... It is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. That doesn't mean Peter understood exactly why it was good for them to be there, but he just it at least knew it was good for them to be there. And the next thing he says out of his mouth is, Jesus, uh, you want me, we'll build three tabernacles right here, one for each of you. This was the first speech for the first Christian capital campaign. 
Things good are going on here. Jesus is in the room. Let's build a building. We are great at building buildings, aren't we? We build buildings like nobody else. I mean, we Christians, we can do it. In fact, we're around some of the biggest church buildings that have ever been built, right? We can go right up the hill, and we can look at one we don't even have to pay for. Cool, right? I mean, capital campaigns are great for other churches. I'm always applauding them. Get in a capital campaign and build something. But build something that's really going to be useful because the building of it actually is not worth nearly as much as you think. It's just not. And in fact, what Jesus said is, no, 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 that's not it. In fact, God himself weighs in. What does he say? He says, that's my beloved son. I am well pleased with him. Listen to him. You know how often we need to hear the words, listen to him? <laughs> we need to hear a lot, right? Listen to him. Because sometimes we tell ourselves all kinds of stories in our heads and in our minds. And we, sometimes we even make all kinds of plans without doing enough listening to him. Now, I'll admit, I am a certified recognized, fully registered doer in the world. I love to do things. I even like to build buildings. I've been fortunate enough to help build parsonages in several cities, community centers that reached out to the whole county, buildings that for children that were made for them to come where they could have decent daycare, centers of worship. I've done all those things. I don't know why God brought me here, because you already have all that stuff. I don't know, but God brought me here anyway. And the first thing I knew I wasn't going to be doing is building something. It kind of makes you old building things, by the way. Because the thing about building is then you have to pay for them, right? You know all about that. But what Jesus says to them here is, we're going back down the mountain. We're going back to the mission field. But before we leave the mountain, let's go there just for a moment. Because that's what worship is about. Standing on the mountain here in the most worshipful moment they could ever imagine. In fact, they could never even have imagined this moment. God just provided it for them. And while they're there, three things happen. First of all, their eyes were opened. You know, they were kind of dozing on the hillside. Jesus said, let's go pray, and they knew what that could mean. He could be there all night long. This Jesus guy, he started praying. You never knew he was going to quit. But somewhere along the middle of that, they looked up there, and the countenance of Jesus changed. And their eyes were opened. You see, when you get a glimpse of eternity, that's when your eyes are open and you begin to see the world differently. Their eyes were opened and they saw there Elijah, the great prophet, and even the one before him, Moses. Wow, what a trip. And Jesus was right there and the three were involved in something that they didn't understand or even know about really. Can you imagine how bug-eyed their eyes were? I wish I could have had a picture, except they didn't have a camera, right? But a picture was taken. Because, you see, these three who were going to become leaders in the Christian church will never forget that moment. They were the only three to witness it, and they were not to tell it to anybody. In fact, we know very little about that until years later because they don't tell until after Jesus is gone. Just three do you think they would ever forget what they had seen? If so, it would only be for a few moments, right? There's a reason they became the leaders of the early Christian church because, you see, they had seen what others had not. They had seen 
a glimpse into eternity that they could never explain to anyone. Second thing that happened, often happens with glimpses in eternity, they felt afraid. I get tickled at people who will say, well, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can ask Jesus these questions. I can't wait to get to heaven to find out all this stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, the first thing we're probably going to do when we get to heaven is we're going to fall on our face. You know what falling on your face means? It means you're in the presence of God, and if that won't frighten you, the person you're, following, you're looking at is not God. Because I promise you, when you see God, you're going to kill over. You're going to be like the sheep who trembles and falls. That's what you're going to do. Because you can't come into the presence of God and not fall on your face. That will be your first response. It's fearful to be in the presence of God. Now, it's not only fearful, but at the very start, it's a frightening thing. It's a frightening thing to be at work with God. And anytime God shows up in your worship and you feel God kind of taking over your mind, kind of making your mind go places you don't want it to go, the first thing you think of is, I can't do that. I, I can't do that. Preacher's talking about witnessing. I'm afraid of that. I'm not going to talk to my neighbor. What's the matter with that boy? He's in the wrong building. <laughs> or what if he's talking about getting in your pocketbook? What's the first, first thing you think about? Uh-uh. Not me. I'm sitting down right here on my billfold. What if the God is calling you to teach? Oh, my Lord. What if he's calling you to teach junior high? <laughs> yeah, see, he doesn't know enough to be afraid. <laughs> Fearful. When God calls you into a service, you're going to be afraid. When you're in the midst of Christ being right with you, you're going to experience some fear. If you don't believe it, you just haven't been many places. I remember the first Sundays, distinct in my mind, when I walked to one of the churches where the bishop sent me. You know, they do that in the Methodist church. They send you. I went to this church, from, and I left a very happy, boisterous, noisy, loud little congregation. You'd have to hush them and hit three or four of them, you know, and knock them with something to get them quiet down so you could worship. They were just all excited. And I went to this church, and I walked out there on Sunday morning. And when I walked out there in that congregation, they were all sitting like this. <laughs> you know what I thought? I thought, sweet Jesus, take me back. What am I doing here? Look at them. They've come to a funeral, and I thought we were having a party. And I thought, sweet bishop, pray for him, because I can't. But we had great ministry there, but I was afraid to be in that place. When they sent me to the city, Frisco. Oh, Lord. You know what I did? I went right to the DS, and I said, okay, I'm going to do this thing, but I need a promise from him. You know what I asked him? I said, if I go there and I'm miserable with all the traffic, with all the people, people I don't even particularly like already, and I'm not even there yet, <laughs> then you will promise to move me out of there pronto. You promise that. He said, I will promise it. I said, okay, I'm going. I was going anyway, but now I feel better. <laughs> you think that's bad when he asked me to come here? I exacted the same promise. <laughs> At least Frisco was farther north from Dallas than you are. You're getting closer to Dallas. I don't ever want to live in Dallas. This is it's too close. But human beings live there, I'm told, and now I've met some. <laughs> I'm not so afraid anymore, but in the beginning, I certainly was having some fear about that. There are challenges that make us afraid. And the last thing they, that happened here, however, is, is transformation. Because you see, when you get a glimpse of the eternity, you're never the same. 
The only reason I could go to Frisco that I named and to the church before this is because I'd been somewhere else and, and begun to understand that though I became afraid often, I knew that God was able to lead me past the fear. And every time I've gone somewhere, I've attempted some ministry or attempted to do something within a congregation that made me a little frightened. I remembered those glimpses of God showing up in my life were strong enough. We call those epiphanies, moments when God shows up in our life that we on this last Sunday of Epiphany will remember that even though we're going into Lent this coming week on Wednesday, we're going to examine ourselves. We're going to pray together. We're going to strive together to move forward through these 40 days in a way that at the end, we are transformed yet again. Because that is the purpose of worship, is to transform us. In fact, that's the purpose of Jesus Christ in our lives, is to transform us. In fact, that's the whole ballgame. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to pray about it. We're going to involve ourselves in it so that we might become truly transformed believers of Jesus Christ. Then we won't be afraid anymore, at least until the next challenge comes. Now, today, now that we're beginning to get a glimpse of this, this presence and purpose of God on this Epiphany Day, this God who comes to us forever and ever, this God who's so wonderful to pull us along by the hand, even though our feet may be dragging. He just keeps pulling us along so we get nearer and nearer to him until the fear is overcome by the beauty of the best friend we'll ever know. That's what Epiphany is about. It's about the appearing of God in our midst. That's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks in terms of mission. And now we're celebrating in this great epiphany of transfiguration that you had to be there to believe. Well, now we're getting ready to go into Lent. Because you see, after we get through with these epiphanies and these wonderful glimpses of eternity and worship that so provided so beautifully in this congregation, then we must come down from that mountain high on Sunday morning because Monday's coming. And we need to go back to work in the mission field for our Lord. That's what's symbolized in this Eucharistic table where we will have communion together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We will do it all right here, and we will do it in memory of the one who left us these signs and symbols, these actions, to always instill in us that the very center of our life is sacrificial living. Not something we choose to do every now and then, but rather at the very center of our life is living for God. That's what Jesus did. So much so that when the time came, though as painful as he knew it would be, he opened up himself. And he said, use me. And his blood was poured forth. And the pain and the struggle, he delivered us from our own struggles. And so every month we come back, at least every month that we celebrate that, and we remember it.